And now, Lord, we've come to the time in this service when we examine the truth of your word to make application to our life and our hearts and minds. You said, let us be attentive and focused and hear what the Spirit has to say to the church. And I ask you, Lord, that you would refresh my mind and my heart with those things that you have told me in private that I might make them public. Touch me, O Lord, for except you touch me, I cannot preach. But if you touch me, then people will be blessed and the word will do its work. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Amen. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. How many of you agree with me that we're living in latter times, the last days? I believe that with all my heart. You say, Pastor, I've heard you preach 45 years ago about a rapture of a church and a catching away of saints to meet the Lord in the air. Yes, that's true. I believed it then. I believe it now. I believe it more now than I believed it then. Because as I see that day approaching, the Bible says, when I see all of these things that prophets foretold and said would happen in the last days, he didn't say for us to hang our head in despair, but he said for us to lift our head and rejoice. The church should be a rejoicing church. A Christian should be a rejoicing Christian. It is God's will that you live a victorious Christian life. Amen. I've said to you many times that a world that is in crisis needs a church that is in revival. That the greatest thing that we can do for this lost world is to lift up Jesus who promised he would draw all people unto himself if the church would lift him up. We know that great colossal scripture over in 2 Chronicles. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, then will I hear from heaven and I will heal their land. I'll forgive their sins. America is a land that needs healing. There's so much dysfunction about our democracy. There's so much inequity. There's so much going on within government, and not just in government, but also in schools, also in churches. Every element of our society is touched by this post-modernal attitude that is going on. We have a group of people now that we're trying to win to the Lord that are called millennials. It's difficult to do because they don't understand commitment, and they don't understand tradition that's handed down. They don't have any appreciation for things that have endured the test of time and still remain. And we preach a gospel that is an old gospel. It's called the grand old gospel for a reason. It's because it doesn't change. It never changes. God will never change his mind about the redemptive provision. God will never come up with another way for man to be saved. God will never have a gospel 
that he will honor other than the gospel that has been preached and handed down to us. So we're trying to reach people that don't accept change and aren't committed by a committed way of life and a gospel that is so powerful that it does not change. And those who live according to its precepts, precept upon precept, line upon line, here a little, there a little, the apostle Paul said. No man can serve two masters, Jesus said. A choice has to be made. We've got to make a choice who you will serve. In fact, the Bible said God put Moses out front and asked the question, who is on the Lord's side? Who is on the Lord's side? Joshua, when he came to the place in his life that he was ready to step down from the stage of action, he said, choose you this day whom you will serve, whether you choose to serve the gods of the people in whose land you dwell, or however, Harmath or Apath, just choose. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You see, that's the attitude that prevails. That's the attitude that will take you through tough times. That's the commitment level that God is looking for in his people. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. In fact, serving God is a privilege, but there's a paradox about it. We talk about freedom, and we sing the songs, There is power in the name of Jesus to break every chain, break every chain, break every chain. Hey, there is a freedom and there's a deliverance that happens when you accept the Lord Jesus as the Lord of your life. But there's an also a kind of ownership that goes with that. He says also to us, take my yoke upon you and learn of me for I am meek and I'm lowly at heart. My burden is light. My burden is easy. Wow. So God is saying to us, you leave one captivity, but you come into a ownership of a new Lord and a new master. In fact, he even tells us, you are not your own. You are bought with a price. In other words, the price that was paid for your redemption is the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ upon the cross of Calvary. And I want to tell you, there will never be another offering for sin. Jesus hath once offered himself for the sins of the whole world forever. There will never be another Calvary. There will never be another Golgotha. There will never be another Pilate's judgment hall. There will never be soldiers that will pierce his side. There will never be soldiers that will drive nails through his hands and his feet. That occurrence will never happen again because God has answered the sin question once and for all. He's handled that issue of human depravity once and for all in the person of the Lord Jesus. He was made to be sin for us who knew no sin. He became the propitiation for our sin. God, God, it pleased God that Jesus 
should become the propitiation. That means payment in full. That means there are no other requirements. Jesus, Jesus has offered himself one time for the sins of the world forever and forever. You see, when we enter into that relationship with the Lord Jesus of his being Lord of our life, I remember Clayton so oftentimes and would talk to me about the Lord. He always called the Lord Master. He always, when he'd pray, he'd begin his prayer by saying, Loving Master. Loving Master. I, I, I thought that was very peculiar of him because that was the only designation he ever gave to Jesus was Master. Loving Master. You know, when you live as if you are indebted to a Master, committed to a master. In fact, the Bible tells us that every one of us are all slaves of his. A certain kind of slave. We're called a doulos, a D-O-U-L-O-S, a doulos. That means that that slave stays for no other reason but he loves his master. And if he could depart, he wouldn't. Whoa. If he could ease out from under that master's ownership of him, he would never leave because there's one thing that holds him in that situation. It's his love for his master. I want to tell you, when you know Jesus and the relationship that you enter into his obedience because you love him and you do the things that he has uh, asked us to do simply because you love him, you do it because you love him. I want to tell you, God's people love the Lord Jesus. Spirit-filled people are head over heels in love with Jesus. People that know God like they ought to know God really, really are in love with the person of the Lord Jesus. You didn't receive Holy Spirit baptism to make you talk in tongues necessarily. Everybody that I know that has the Holy Ghost loves Jesus. They love him more because Jesus said when he has come, he won't speak of the things of himself. He won't talk about who he is. He'll take the things that are mine. And he said, he will glorify me, Jesus said. You know, the greatest thing about Pentecostals is they glorify Jesus. They lift up Jesus. They exalt the name of Jesus. They give praise and honor to the Lord Jesus. And we live our lives as if we are bound in this yoke with the Lord Jesus. Is there anybody here today that is in that yoke with the Lord Jesus? Do you know why he said my yoke is easy and my burden is light? It's because He's in the other yoke pulling alongside you, helping you bear every burden that you encounter, every load that you carry, every obstacle that may come in your way. He is right beside you, and he's pulling more than his share, I promise. And that's why he can say that burden is light if you're in the yoke with the Lord Jesus because I can do all things through who? strengthens me. My Lord, aren't you glad you're yoked with a Lord and a master who strengthens you, that encourages you when you're down and depressed, who lifts you up when you're cast down, who gives strength to you when you're weak, 
who encourages you when you're discouraged? Isn't it great to be linked and yoked to a master that loves you and supplies your needs? The church is in a real struggle right now to raise up a standard against a culture that is ungodly. And when the church should be at its very best, standing out there on the front line of the battle, so many pulpits have resorted to a weak gospel, an unoffensive gospel, a gospel that really doesn't convict hearts of the wrongness of sin. Oh, you'll hear all kind of book titles about being better yourself. And all of them are about self-aggrandizement, about how you can have this wealth and prosperity and all of these things. Somebody needs to write a book about obedience to God. Somebody needs to write a book about being true to the convictions of the Word of God. Amen. Because the gospel is not just a gospel of happiness. It's a gospel of obedience. It's a, it's a gospel of servitude and being in this yoke with God. You know, if you are subject to any of the outlets, the media outlets, the profanity, the licentiousness, the perversiveness that is going on in our world today, sin that at one time was committed in secret has now been brought out into the broadways. Sin that at one time was in the alleys is now on Broadway. And the news is people just parade through town declaring their sin, open about sin. In fact, Isaiah made this statement about a generation very much like it. In Isaiah 3 and 9, he said, They show of their countenance, doth witness against them, and they declare their sin as Sodom, and they hide it not. Woe unto their soul, for they have rewarded evil unto themselves. Wow, what a verse. They declare their sin like Sodom. They hide it not. Have we gotten to a place where the gospel preaching church is so weak that we've failed to cry out against sin and that sin has become so prevalent that it's almost acceptable in our world. I want to tell you, the Bible said whoever is deceived thereby is not wise. The Bible said whoever chooses that broad road, it leads to destruction. I've told folks many, many times, if you don't get off the road your own, it's gonna take you to a place you don't want to go. Is anybody listening to this preacher? There's a broad road that leads to destruction and the Bible said, and many there go be that go in thereat. Hey, there's two destinations. I talked about twos a while, two destinations. What is it? One leads to everlasting life. And Jesus said, few there be that find it. It's a straight gate, it's a narrow way. That other is a broad way. There's two ways, there's two gates. There's two destinations. There's two travelers. Which one are you traveling on today, friend? I want to tell you, I'm going to try to be on that straight gate and that narrow way because that's the one that leads to life everlasting and eternal life. That's the one I want on. But I can't just haphazardly live any way I want to and get there. 
I've got to live a victorious life if I want to get there. There are all kind of pitfalls along the way. There's all kind of things that happen. And it's very difficult sometimes to get this message out. John chapter 12, verse 40. He hath blinded their eyes. Speaking of Satan, the God of the world. He hath blinded their eyes and hardened their heart. Are you reading it with me? He has blinded their eyes, hardened their heart, so that they can neither see with their eyes nor understand with their hearts and not turn and I, I will heal them. If they would be converted, I would heal them. If they would repent, I would heal them. Hey, is that in the Bible? It says it's John 12, 40. Who do you think put that in there? Holy men of God spake as they were moved upon by the, the Holy Ghost. So then God intended that to be part of the Bible. And we need to be preaching that. That if we harden our heart and stiffen our neck, then that road's going to take you to destruction. If we are rebellious and would none of his reproof, then we just have to experience where that road takes you. And I want to tell you, that is a bad place to be. It's a dark place. You don't want to go to that place. Don't want to go to that place. It'll take you to a bad place. You see, the Bible says that no man can serve two masters. And then he finally says to us, you cannot serve God and man. In other words, you can't represent God to a godless nation in a way that misrepresents him. And I'm afraid that's being done right now. We've got God pictured as some Santa Claus-like figure that's sitting somewhere ready to sit little boys and girls up on his knee and play house with them. But I want to tell you, he sits in a place that is high above the heavens. I want to tell you that he is a God that has no peer. There are none like him. The Bible said, from his face, the earth and the heaven fled away. He is a God that, that expects us to live a life and to worship and serve him. Listen, that, those chains that get us entangled. You see, the, this culture has many worshipers and they worship at the altars of the God of this world. Might as well say amen, it's exactly right. And God said, thou shalt have no other gods before me. The God of materialism. is eating us up. A godless culture that is pent on promiscuity and licentiousness and lustful behavior and lustful talk. It's become commonplace. Let's, let's just take the acronym and let's just use it. Everybody take, a, take your finger, put your finger up like this, make a C. That's a C. What does that stand for, Pastor? Choices choices. Every one of us sitting here today are the result of choices we've made and decisions that we've made. Every one of us that are sitting right here today can look back over our past and say, buddy, I missed it there. Oh, I even know songs. If I had my life to live over, there's a book that said, if I could raise my kids again. Isn't it great when you've got hindsight isn't it great? The view from the end zone. 
you can look back and see all the things that you wish you'd chosen differently. We are who we are. We have what we have because of choices that we've made. And I want to tell you, when you make bad choices and you make choices that don't agree with this book right here, then you wind up with trouble in your life. Trouble in your marriage, trouble with your kids, trouble with your business, you got troubles. Because the Bible said if you make bad choices, then those will come back to bite you. I said they'll come back to bite you. Buddy, just take the episodic activity of the children of Israel. They were continually, always and forever, going off into idolatry. If you ever left them alone, Brother, when you come back, they'd have a golden calf made. Every time you let them make decisions and choices, brother, next thing you got was chaos. And the Bible said, and God, when Korah opened up this rebellion against God's people and against Moses, spoke against Moses, the Bible said, and God opened up the earth. Earthquake. And swallowed up all of those rebellious people. I want to tell you, God isn't playing. I guess somehow we think that he's this grandfather sitting somewhere and taps his way around on Brother Ford's walker. I wonder how in the world God got in this meeting this morning. He is so slow and he's so weak and he's so frail. I wonder how in the world he even got in this meeting meeting today. Is that your God? Is that the God you came here this morning to worship? A God that's just some tottering old... Yeah. I want to tell you, my God is not like that. My God is a powerful God. He's a consuming fire. He's a God that sits high and above all principalities and all powers. His name is above every name that is named in this world and in the world that is to come. He's greater than movie stars. He's greater than presidents. He's greater than premiers. He's greater than sports figures. He is a God that sits high and above all other things. He is God and there is none like unto our great God. Hallelujah. Choices. But I want to tell you that, that that chain can be broken. How can I break free of bad choices I've made? Start making good ones. Start making good How do I do that? How do I correct some bad choices? You go back and make some good choices. The Bible said, by faith. Somebody say, by faith. How do I make good choices? By faith. By faith, Moses chose not to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. By faith, Moses chose to endure the afflictions of God's people rather than to enjoy the pleasure of sin for a season. Somebody say amen. Choices. What did Ruth do when Naomi said, I'm going back home? I'm, I'm going back home. I, I've been over here in Moab long enough. Moab is a rebellious place. I'm tired of living in rebellion. 
I'm tired of living in disobedience. I'm going back home. I'm going back to Israel. I'm going back to Jerusalem. And her daughter-in-law, Ruth, said, your people shall be my people. Your God will be my God. Oh, glory to God. She made a choice right then and there. I'm not gonna be what I used to be. I'm not gonna live like I used to live. I'm not gonna have the identity I used to have in God. There is redemption for me in God and leaving where I am and going to where God wants me to be. There's a future. There's a faith. There's a hope. There's a relationship. There's a new life for me. But I've got to make a good choice about that choice. Three Hebrew children were in a Babylonian mess and a law was passed that said you got to bend and you got to bow to a pagan god, an emperor, or else you will be thrown into the fiery furnace. Time to make a choice. I said, time to make a choice. You may say, well, pastor, we'll never come to that point. Don't kid yourself. Jesus said the time will come when they will call you up before magistrates and you're going to have to make a choice. I said, you're going to have to make a choice. But he said, but don't you be afraid when that time comes because if you've got the Holy Ghost with you, you've got the spirit and the power of God in your life, the Holy Ghost will tell you what you should say. Oh, blessed be God. The Holy Ghost will tell you what you ought to do. Well, you ready to make another one? Jonah made a decision. Hadn't got time to preach about him. Paul made a decision. He chose to become obedient to the heavenly vision. Hey, you ready to make another one? It's an H this time. What is that? Habits. Habits. A thought became an act, and an act became a habit. It's easy to let habits get attached to you. Potty mouth. Accepting things that you used to wouldn't do, but you kind of got in a bad habit. Well, I just went through a season of dryness and I just kind of wandered, and I picked up some. You know, you can pick up some habits when you're wandering. When you're not in close proximity and relationship to the master, you'll pick up some things. When Abraham went down into Egypt, he picked up some things down there. Come on. One thing he picked up was wealth. The Bible said he went down there a sheep herder. When he came up out of there in Genesis 13, he was a cattle rancher. Are you kidding me? You mean he got wealthy while he was off in Egypt and wasn't in Canaan where he's supposed to be? Depends on what you call wealth. Because... Over in 14th chapter, we find out that Lot's herdsmen and Abraham's herdsmen started fussing and fighting over the cows. Sometimes what you think is wealth 
is something you just fuss over. I've had a lot of couples come and sit in my office and try to unravel what could happen that would make them get along better. And just about in every case, it was all about things and money. This world will try to satisfy that longing in your soul. You may search this wide world o'er, but you'll be just as before. You'll never find true satisfaction until you've known the Lord. For only Jesus can satisfy your soul. Sometimes that thing you think is wealth is just something for you to fuss about. Something to fuss about. Churches can get like that. Churches can get like that. I once went as a bishop of a district in Mobile, Alabama, went to a church that had $250,000 in the bank and didn't owe a dime. Come on, somebody. And the pastor had called and said, can you come over and do a conference for us that our church is just evenly split about an issue? And I said, well, what in the world is it? He said, it's about paving the parking lot. said, there are some that want to fix the whole thing and there are others who want to just patch the holes. And I showed up for that business meeting at 7 o'clock. At 11 o'clock, they were still raising their hands to be recognized to talk about holes in the ground. They were evenly divided in the men's meeting. If I remember right, it was something like 2020. 24, 20 against. And I decided if I'm going to get to bed by midnight tonight, I got to get one to cross over. And finally, Thad, I got one. To cross over, thank God, I'd still be there. And I said, brethren, do you understand we've been talking four hours about holes in the ground. You've got $250,000 in the bank, no risk whatsoever of a dime of it ever being spent. And... I finally took the vote, and the vote one by one, and I got to dismiss. I was about to walk out. Buddy Fallon, Brother Fincher, you know Buddy. Buddy was the music minister. You can identify with this, Justin. This is what goes on in these ministers' music. He said, Brother Irwin, while you're here, said, we don't get to talk about this much, but said, these old hymnals that we've got, they're busted on the back. Many of them are torn apart, and, and they're, they're in bad repair. 
Could we talk about getting some hymns of the Spirit or perhaps the new version of the, of the book that's got some other songs in it? I said, sure. Sure. One guy raised his hand. And I said, yes, sir. He said, Brother Irvin, me and Mama was over there at Kmart the other day and said, we took one of them hymnals home like your buddy's talking about. And said, me and Mama said, we took some of that red tape and run it right down the back of that thing and fixed it. I make a motion we just buy some tape and fix it. said, you're dismissed. Go home. Get out of here. Get out. My Lord. How in the world can a church get to a point to where they're so consumed about can all you get, get all you can, and you lose the vision? Not one word was ever said about preaching the word of God, reaching a lost soul, revival, extension, outreach, ministry, it's just about things. That's the biggest hoax the devil ever pulled over on the church of the living God. It's to get us all so consumed about things. Could I tell you that the Bible said, what will it profit a man if he should gain this whole world and lose his soul? It's not about things. Do you know when Jesus was talking about the gospel being preached, he said some of it fell among thorns. The disciples said, what are these thorns? What are these thistles? Jesus said, they choked the word of God out. They're the cares of this life. Let me tell you, when you, all you talk about and all you want to do is debate things, Things The Bible said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all of these things will be added to you. Well, we're getting about to habits then. What's the next one? A, affluence. And that just goes right along with what we're talking about. I gotta, I gotta achieve, I gotta accomplish, I gotta, I gotta buy this, I gotta sell that, I gotta work this out, I gotta, gotta do this. All of that affluence, can that chain be broken, Pastor? That chain can be broken. Colossians chapter one, verse 12, 14, giving thanks unto the Father. Anybody wanna give thanks today? Giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness, and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sin. That chain of fluids can be broken by realizing that the things of this world can never compare to the peace and joy Jesus gives. Next is I, it's identity, isn't it? Identity, identity. Who are you? I am a child of God. I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. And because he is my heavenly father, because he is my protector, 
because he is my Jehovah Jireh, because he is my Jehovah Nisi, because he is my Jehovah Shalom. I want to tell you he supplies every need. He is touched by the feeling of our infirmities. And I want to just ask you right now, what in the world would you want to go back to? What in the world would a sow want to return to her wallow or a dog return to its vomit to go back and rehash and look back? In fact, Jesus said, no man that putteth his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. If you're living in yesteryear serving yesterday's God, if you're living in yesteryear longing for everything to go back to how it used to be, I'm going to tell you, quit looking back. Forgetting those things that are behind us and pressing toward the mark, amen, of the high calling which is in Christ Jesus. God help us not to get stuck in what it used to be and how we used to do this and used to do that. God is more than able to supply every need that we have now. I said now. My God is in the present right now. He is a very present help in time of need. Hey, thank God for what he did yesterday. Thank God for the revival in 1948. Thank God for Brother Burroughs. Thank God for Brother Sides. Thank God for Brother Landreth. Thank God for Brother Franklin. Thank God for Brother Bristow. That was then, this is now. Hey, God was great then, God can be great now. God healed us then, he can heal us now. Identity, I am the child of God. Not was a child of God, but I am a child of God. Not gonna be a child of God, I am a child of God. Right now, I'm a child of God. I'm an heir and a joint heir with Jesus. Hallelujah. I'm in fellowship with my great God and Jesus is my elder brother and I'm his child and as his child he looks after me and cares for me my identity is in the Lord Jesus do you know why that God doesn't want you to look back because number one you can't plow straight looking back You can't go forward looking back. Anybody knows that if you're going to put your hand to the plow and you're going to look back this way, trying to go that way, it won't be long before you'll trip over something like that. Could it be that you're tripping over things because you're just not looking forward? Is that you're looking for a God that used to be? Is it that you're looking for what he used to do and how he used to act? Well, I want to tell you, he's not only in our past. He's in our present. He's in our future. And he's already gone before us. He already knows tomorrow. I said he already knows tomorrow. Hey, Jerry Bowman, he knows tomorrow. He knows next week. He knows next month. Amy, he's the God of tomorrow. He inhabits eternity. He's in our future. He knows the charting of the course for every one of us. Many things about tomorrow 
I don't seem to understand. But I know who holds tomorrow. And I know who holds my hand. Every step is getting brighter. As those golden stairs I climb. Hard to climb stairs when you're looking back. My wife is a woman that trips on stairs going up. She falls up the stairs. She can't see what her feet's doing. So she don't see that step down there. And sometimes when she's going up the steps, she gets to going so fast that her feet can't keep up with her. So she falls forward. Boy, that would be terrible if she's trying to do that looking back, wouldn't it? Wow. In order for you to have your hand on that plow and go forward, you got to look forward. Why did he not say hands? He said hand. Jack, you've seen people plow, probably plowed yourself. Does it take two hands to do that? Well, why did he only say, no man having put his hand to the plow? I'll tell you why. Because God's hand is on the other stock. If you'll do your part, he'll do his. He'll do his. Now, I hope you don't get offended, but there's a scripture in Deuteronomy that says, don't plow with an ox and a donkey. Now, it says another word for donkey, but your tender little ears probably couldn't take that. <laughs> it says, don't hook up your plow with a donkey and an ox. Why is that? They don't have the same gait. They don't have the same walk. They don't have the same <laughs> mindset. Be not unequally yoked together, the Bible says. I want to tell you something. Be careful who you enter into permanent relationships with. He wasn't just talking about marriage when he talked about that. Be careful about that. The last letter's in, in, and that means our nature. Sometimes who you are and the genes that's in your pool determines a whole lot about your personality, a whole lot about your ability to relate to other people, to feel for other people. But I want to tell you, there's something that can break that chain too. You know what it is? It's the Holy Spirit that can break that chain. It can be broken by recalling that through the power of the Holy Spirit, Paul said, keep what has been committed unto you by the Holy Ghost which dwells in you. How in the world do I serve the Lord and walk uprightly before him? By the power of the Holy Ghost that is in you. 
Praise God. You've got a comforter who is the Holy Ghost. And the Holy Ghost will abide with you. He dwelleth with you, but he shall be in you. He is in there to quench all of those fires. He's in there to control the level of the flood. He's there to give you strength and energy and power and faith and hope and help you meet the challenge that presents itself. Whatever gets in your way, the Holy Ghost that dwells in you will empower you to rise above it. Rise above it. No flood will overflow you because God will raise up a standard against him. The fire will never burn you because God will quench the violence of the fire. Those Hebrew boys, when they made that decision, we will not bow. They went into the fiery furnace, heated up seven times by a king that was so arrogant. And the Bible said the king looked into the fire and he said, did we not cast them three? I see a comforter in there. There's a fourth one. There's somebody in the fire that we didn't put in the fire. He, he, he wasn't constrained and thrown in the fire. He voluntarily appeared in the fire. He voluntarily appeared walking on the sea in the storm. He voluntarily comes on the scene when you're in trouble, when you're down in spirit and difficult things and chaos going on all around you. He's the peace that passes understanding. He's the joy that's unspeakable, that's full of glory. He will abide with you and he'll stay with you through whatever comes your way. Keep what's been committed to you. Don, we ready to baptize? Wow. I need to tell you something. Philippians is a powerful, powerful gospel. It's one of the prison epistles. Everybody listening? One of the prison, one of the four. Ephesians, Philemon, Philippians, Colossians, those are what's called the prison epistles. Philippians is the happiest book in all of the New Testament. It's full of that Rejoice in the Lord evermore, and I will rejoice. When Paul was at his bleakest moment, locked in prison, in fact, let's just say it like this, he was in lockdown, in prison. Hardness all around him, concrete floors, bars for petitions of the room, and sitting there with all of that hardness, all of that gray gloom and despair all around him, he wrote the happiest book of the Bible. You see, sometimes when you're in the toughest circumstance of your life, God has you positioned to do the greatest work. Had it not been for him being where he was and having the attitude that he had, we would never have Philippians. That tells us, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. 
We'd never have Philippians that would tell us, but my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. We wouldn't have Philippians that gives us encouragement to know that God is with us. You see, some of the greatest things you'll ever do is when God has you positioned to be most attentive to him. You'll do your greatest work when you're in your darkest hour. You know, when John was deposited out there on Patmos, where not even a blade of grass would grow. It was a barren rock. Nothing there. It was a rock crusher. It was a colony where the Romans had all these prisoners that did nothing but go out and take sledgehammers and beat on rocks to make gravel to go and pave the Roman roads of the empire. Here is John. John the Revelator, and dumped out on a barren rock where not even a blade of grass would grow. No doubt, the vultures circled overhead and said, well, another meal has come to Patmos. Those dejectors that threw him out on that rock rode away from that island 17 miles out of the Aegean Sea. No doubt they thought, well, we've put that poor soul there. We'll get his corpse one day. We've, we've stopped his message. We've stopped his preaching. We've stopped his ministry. 87 years old when he was dumped out on Patmos. But in Revelation chapter 1 verse 10, John said, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. Now don't get all gooey-gooey about the Lord's day because the emperor had taken the Christian day of worship, which is the first day of the week, and declared that to be emperor worship day. You Christians are not going to worship your God. Right now you're going to worship me. Not your God. He was given this choice. You don't have to work if you'll just worship the emperor. If you'll go to the pagan temple and worship the emperor of the Roman Empire, you don't have to crush rocks on that day. You can be given that day off. And that old 87-year-old prophet of God put his hammer on his shoulder and said, before I'll worship a pagan god, I'll go and carry this 87-year-old boy to the rock quarry and I'll slug it out with rocks all day long because God said, thou shalt have no other gods before me. I'm gonna worship the Lord my God and him only will I serve. And immediately, come on preachers, immediately when he said I got in the spirit, he said I turned and I saw him. I didn't know he made house visits. I didn't know that Jesus made house calls. I didn't know Jesus come down on barren rocks. Yeah, he does. When he's got soldiers that are in the trenches, he loves to come down and get in the trench beside you. 
when he's got people that are fighting devils and slapping demons out of their face right and left. He loves to come on down and get in the fray right beside you. Hey, when the commander in chief comes by and gets down in the battle on my side and lets me know that he cares about me. He knows where I am. He knows what I'm going through. And Chuck, he said, when I saw him, said he was so brilliant and glowing. He had hair that was white like wool. Wow. He was so brilliant with such a glow. And he said he had on a, a priestly robe down to his feet, and his feet were a frying brass that's burnt in the furnace. And all these Pentecostals get talked about for this falling out stuff that we do sometimes. Here's your, a scripture when somebody asks you. And John said, when I saw him, when I saw him, when I saw his glory, when I saw his power, when I saw his majesty, I wanted to worship him. And he said, when I saw the glory of the Lord, I fell as a dead man. I couldn't stand up under the weight of his glory. And said, he came over to me and he laid his hand on my head. And he said, I am Alpha, and I am Omega. I am the first, and I am the last. I am he that was dead, but behold, I'm alive forevermore, and I've got the keys to death and hell and the grave. Glory to God. Sometimes when you think you're dumped out in life's worst place, that's where God's about to give you a revelation of the Lord Jesus. We wouldn't have that book to teach out of if God hadn't positioned him in that place. So rather than get mad at God for dumping you on Patmos, thank God for the good that's going to come of it. I said instead of getting mad at God for dumping you on Patmos, thank God for the good that's going to come of it. Praise your name, Jesus. Thank you, God, for everybody that's in this house today. You said, my word will not return unto me void. It will accomplish the purpose whereunto I sent it. You had a purpose for somebody here today. And I pray, oh God, that they got the message. And I pray that they'll leave here changed. And instead of feeling that God has passed them by or God has somehow mistreated them, that they'll leave here saying, thank you, God, for placing me where I am right now because you're going to do something in the midst of my Patmos. You're going to help me see Jesus like I've never seen him before. You're going to help me know him better than I've ever known him before. You're going to help me do things to honor him and serve him like I've never done before. Thank you for Patmos. No wonder Paul could say, I glory in my infirmities. For when I'm weak, then am I made strong. Amen. Greatest help book I know to give you is one that says, Holy Bible. Holy Bible. George Johnson 
Some of you remember George. Came for a long time. He ran up to Debbie one day and said, Sister Debbie, said, I've lost my Bible. I can't find my Bible. And Debbie said, well, describe it for me, George. What does it look like? He said, it's a book, and it's got a black cover, and on the front of it, it says, Holy Bible. (laughs) Brother, when you know the Holy Bible, you've got the manual. Got the manual. The Bible said a little child shall lead them. And Jesus said this, unless you become as a little child, you shall in no wise enter into the kingdom of God. 